2: This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Kaspar I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut.
3: It looks so good.
2: Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way, and now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Prose is made for people not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner.
3: Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.comslash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P R O S E dot com slash Harry Potter.
2: Chapter 13 Gryffindor vs. Ravenclaw. It looked like the end of Ron and Hermione's friendship. Each was so angry with the other that Harry couldn't see how they'd ever make up. Ron was enraged that Hermione had never taken Crookshanks' attempts to eat Scabbers' series. I'm Vanessa Zoltan.
3: And I'm Caspar Terkyle.
2: And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text.
3: This week's story comes from a very special guest, Hank Green. You may have come across him on Vlogbrothers or the podcast Dear Hank and John and the many, many other projects that Hank has going on. Because Hank shared this week's story on the theme of rivalry, and we got straight into the conversation, we're going to switch it up, get ready, and do the (laughs) 30-second recap right up top. Vanessa, are you ready?
2: You're going first. Oh, God, no. (laughs) Also, I like how you introduced the switching it up, like it's the most exciting thing that's happened to you since 1998. (laughs) I just feel like we've been going, yeah, this is the first time we're doing this. Yeah, on your mark. Get set. Go.
3: Okay, so um, Ron and Hermione are still bickering over the pets. Uh, and Harry gets the fireball back. It's very exciting. Madame Hooch is like, oh, it looks great. Um, okay, but then we're on the pitch. Gryffindor versus um, Ravenclaw. And the weather is out. Like, and sun's out, gun's out. And who else is out? Oh my God! It's Cho Chang. She's so beautiful. Like she's got a, She's trying to block Harry instead of chasing it herself. But he finds it and then pretends and then <gasps> dementors. But he catches it and everything is great. Whew! I just got distracted by Cho. I
2: <laughs> just, you have a thing for Quidditch players.
3: I don't care what they look like, who they are, what gender. I'm just like as long as you're good on the broom. Vanessa, I may have missed a couple things, so I'm kind of relying on you to... flawless. (laughs) Okay, here we go. You
2: are Beyonce.
3: Three, two, one, lemonade.
2: (laughs) So Ron and Hermione are still fighting, and it's terrible. And um, then Gryffindor is going to go against Ravenclaw. Everybody is really jealous, including Draco of the Firebolt. And so then um, the game happens, and Harry thinks that there's a Dementor, and so he p- expected a Patronus and has a Patronus, and then it turns out that it was just Draco playing a prank. And then Ron goes up to his room, and he falls asleep, and then he's like, "Serious Black just tried to attack me, and everybody's like, you're wrong. And he's like, no, ask Cadogan, and Cadogan is like, yep, I let him in.
3: Because Neville had left that little piece of paper with the different passwords lying around.
2: Did he? Neville doesn't know where that piece of paper is. But did Neville leave it somewhere?
3: That, my dear fellow readers, we will have to find out in a future episode.
2: But now let's listen to this amazing story from Hank Green on the theme of rivalry. Hi, Hank. Hi.
3: It's a real thrill for you to, well, it's a thrill for
4: us for you to be here, Hank. (laughs) It is very nice to be here. You have a very good podcast.
3: Well, thank you so much. And we're very excited to hear your story on this theme of rivalry. Well, it goes a lot of places, but I promise I will get there. So I'm going to tell
4: you a story about middle school.
2: Our favorite kind.
4: Yeah, everybody's favorite time of their life. Sixth grade. This is like in America, like 11 or 12 years old. And every day I arrive at English class and for some reason that I assume has something to do with teacher schedules. The teacher shows up about five minutes after the kids are, like, supposed to be there. So there's these five minutes of just kids, no supervision. And every day, this guy, Aaron, punches me one time in the stomach every day. Sometimes it's, like, surprise punch. Some days it's not a very hard punch. Sometimes it's a much harder punch. And occasionally, very occasionally, he won't punch me at all just to, like, keep it mixed up. And... All day before the class, I'm thinking about it, whether it's going to happen, whether it's not, whether it's going to be worse than usual or better than usual. And thinking back to this period of my life, I have this sensation that like at that moment in sixth grade, I had forever been punched in the stomach every day and would forever be punched in the stomach every day. Like, I don't remember the first time this happened. I just remember the feeling of like perpetual punching. Anyway, fast forward to seventh grade. So I returned back from to from school after like summer vacation, having grown like six inches. My voices have an octave lower, and Aaron, it turns out, had already had his growth spurt, and I now am inches taller than him. Yeah, and (laughs) outweigh him by a lot. I'm still terrified of him because like for me, it wasn't about size. It was about like this is a puncher, and I'm a punchy. But he is suddenly much nicer to me. And I actually remember at one point him being like, no hard feelings. (laughs) But I didn't ever feel like he could have kept punching me and I would have never fought back. It had been set up in my brain. Anyway, a while after seventh grade, some friends of mine start a a pickup hockey game. I really like hockey. This is Florida, so it's roller hockey on like a basketball court on concrete. And I start going and then later Aaron starts showing up. And I'm terrified because like, hockey is a pretty physical game. We play pretty rough. We don't wear pads. It's on concrete. It's not safe. I don't know what we were thinking. And
2: he's a puncher.
4: (laughs) And he's a puncher. He's the puncher and I'm the punchy. And so I feel like during this period of time, one of the things that is making me better at hockey is the fact that Aaron is on the other team and I want to be better than him at something. Like, mostly, I don't want to be better than I currently am. The thing that's driving me forward is this kid who I still have this huge hang-up on, even though it's been more than a year since he bullied me and he's been pretty friendly ever since then. And I don't feel that friendliness at all. So, one day, this is the... Act- the finally, that was all background. This is the <laughs> actual story. Aaron gets mad because it's hockey and it's hot and you get mad in hockey. It's part of the culture of the game. He throws a stick. It hits me in the abdomen. And I think even at the moment, I knew that he didn't really mean to hit me, but it was almost like I had been looking for the moment, and I just rush him, and I hit him. And at this point, I'm probably outweighing him by fifty pounds, and he like flies off his skates, lands flat on his back, and he hits his head on the ground. And everybody's like, "Hank is not that kind of guy. Why did this just happen?" Aaron is also very confused. He's bleeding. And everybody is like, dude, that was way over the line. And it took that moment to realize that for years, the power had already shifted and that it wasn't the situation it was before. I had thought that he was still the bully, but we were just at that point rivals. Like we were trying to get better than each other at hockey. We were trying to win a game. We had an adversarial relationship a little bit, but it wasn't the thing that I thought it was anymore.
2: So much in that story strikes me that, to some extent, a rival or an enemy can set the standards that you hold yourself to. When you said that you didn't want to be better than yourself, but you wanted to be better than him, it's like, well, Mm -hmm. if he wasn't very good, right, like that wouldn't have pushed you forward (laughs) at all. And if you are Mm -hmm. too much obsessed with somebody who you see as a rival, you can really let them determine the way that you live your whole life.
3: Yeah. But also the transition from like the bully relationship to a rival relationship, which is different because a rivalry suggests a more equal footing in a way. And it's so hard to feel that when you've been bullied that someone else might see you as an equal now. That's really hard to believe about someone sometimes, yeah, so that strikes me too it was It's also something that I was thinking about, like because Malfoy
4: is such a terrible human, but thinking like how does Malfoy imagine his relationship with Harry, understanding that Aaron was imagining my relationship with him differently, like does Malfoy in some weird, broken way feel abused by Harry Potter? yeah, whoa. Right.
2: I mean, that's the other thing that's so interesting about you and Aaron, right? It's you both imagine that the other person had more power than either of you actually had.
3: Mm -hmm. And there's this great moment in this chapter where Harry has one of the best zingers to Malfoy ever. Like, I just l- love this moment where he's like, oh, pity they can't attach an extra arm to your broom, Malfoy. Then it could actually catch a snitch for you.
4: As I was reading that, I was like, how many arms does a normal broomstick have?
3: <laughs> but it's you're right. Like, it's not as if Malfoy is the only one throwing around insults here.
2: Well, not only that, when Harry and Malfoy first meet, to yeah. some extent, not, sorry, They first meet in the robe shop, but their first intentional interaction, Draco puts out a hand of friendship to Harry, and Harry rejects him. That's right. I mean, Harry rejects him, we know, for sort of good reasons of Draco's being mean to Ron, but Draco's first attempt to interact with Harry is really extending that hand of friendship. Yeah.
1: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number
2: store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut.
3: It looks so good.
2: Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, prose is made for people not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner.
3: Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Hank, have you had examples in your life of rivalries becoming like a productive relationship or something where it's lifted you both to a higher ground in some way? Um I will say I'm going to not
4: answer your question by answering a different question. <laughs> I have had rivalries that I thought were rivalries that weren't, that was one-sided and it was just me, and I've had rivalries that ended in very sad ways where I was like I thought I was competing with this person because like they sucked. They made bad decisions and they did bad things and I was aware of it and I wanted to beat them at whatever game it was, whatever life thing we were doing. And and then in the end, it turned out that it wasn't about them versus me. They were doing nasty things because they were broken people and then either they went to jail or they made huge mistakes and struggled with addiction or th- those things that like once you're 36, you see all the people who you who you didn't like because they had done bad things. Often turns out that Even the ones that are successful, like I I have an example of a guy, you know, whatever, quote unquote, successful, like he's made much more money than me. But he is also very, very sad and also lost what I think is probably more important than money, which is respect. Like no one cares anymore.
3: It feels like that competitive spirit or that rivalry relationship can be really productive within a set boundary like I'm yeah. I'm just even thinking of that book about Lincoln's cabinet team of rivals that there were relationships there which were very competitive but then could also be human together right like there were times to be prodding each other and times to be in friendship and I just think of politics today like all we have is competition like We don't have collaboration. We need both in a way. And
2: in this chapter, we see that very much with Cho, right? Cho is literally forcing Harry to go faster and to bob and weave. But then it's Cho who points out to Harry that there are dementors down at the bottom of the field. Right. So she knows when to be like, okay, rivalry is over. We are friends in this moment and something dangerous is happening. right. Growing up, so my mom and I have a huge Scrabble rivalry, and my mom was a big believer in not letting me win ever. So, like, <laughs> it looks like beating up on a kid. If you look at our scores from when I was 10, and she did, like, 400 points and I did 80. <laughs> oh, my God. But
4: that's great.
2: she, like, made it this really fun thing where, you know, we weren't allowed to talk back or swear in front of our parents, and Scrabble time was, like, a time that I was allowed to swear And I was allowed to like trash talk. And, you know, it was the only time my mom was a big believer in like, I'm not friends with my children. I'm a mother. But Scrabble time was like a time where we could be equals and rivals. And and it only got annoying when I was older and I finally beat her. And she was like, sweetie, good for you. And I was like, no, be mad. We're rivals. Yeah. She just offended all the power. Don't be happy
4: for me. Exactly. Yeah, there's kind of a bit of uh, like the the patronizing nature of someone being happy for you when you beat them after you've been working so hard and like losing and not being happy for them when they win.
2: No, it was super insulting.
4: I mean, it's interesting, like, the difference between, like, the amount of tension. Like, I'm obviously very driven forward by creative people who are created in the same spaces as me. And there are occasionally moments when I'll listen to a song and I'll be like, "That is that is exactly what I wish I could do. And I just will never be able to write a song like that. And it'll push me to write differently or to think differently about music or to think differently about, like, music theory. But I... I rarely feel like I'm in, in confrontation or
3: antagonistic relationship with those people. Right. Unless it's Celine Dion and then you just feel crushed by her brilliance. <laughs> I mean, that's how there, I experience it. I mean,
4: I do. Whenever I get it, that whenever the new The m Be Giants album comes out, I put it in the stereo with the knowledge that I'm going to feel bad about my songwriting skills, <laughs> but also very good about my enjoyment of the content.
3: Vanessa, it's time for our spiritual practice, and we are returning to sacred imagination. And Hank was able to join us as we dove into this paragraph from the chapter. So I'm going to close my eyes, and I'll listen to your reading.
2: Okay, so this is a conversation between Lupin and Harry. And so I would invite you to you know, pick which character you really want to imagine yourself into, or go back and forth because it's a dialogue between the two of them. So it starts, That was some Patronus, said a voice in Harry's ear. Harry turned around to see Professor Lupin, who looked both shaken and pleased. The Dementors didn't affect me at all, Harry said excitedly. I didn't feel a thing. That would be because they, er, weren't Dementors, said Professor Lupin. Come and see... He led Harry out of the crowd until they were able to see the edge of the pitch. You gave Mr. Malfoy quite a fright, said Lupin. Harry stared, lying in a crumpled heap on the ground, were Malfoy, Crabbe, Goyle, and Marcus Flint, the Slytherin teen captain. So, as you were listening to that, what were your thoughts? What did you imagine as Harry or Lupin?
3: I was imagining myself as Lupin, and I was so conscious of wanting to gently let Harry know what had happened. You know, it was kind of letting him down because he's so confident. And I kind of just imagined myself trying to be really compassionate. And I noted that the language that Lupin is using is still very positive. You know, you gave him a real fright, like he's trying to lift him up. I don't know. I just felt like this mix of pride and also humor. Like it's, it's also kind of funny. Um, yeah.
2: Tank, what about you?
3: It's interesting. I went,
4: I went with Lupin as well because I'm old now. And, you know, when I first read the Harry Potter novels, I was, you know, a long time ago now. And now I have a child, a little boy, and someday he will be a 13 year old and, that feeling of, like, Lupin's surrogate fatherhood there and that Harry hasn't had that and he's having it a little bit here. Mm. And I think Lupin is also feeling it. And it's also, like, this moment where you know, like, like I felt, like, the jostling of bodies. Mm. Like, all of these people around celebrating me. And then, like, I didn't so much feel the feeling of, like, I'm going to let Harry down right now because it turns out he didn't take on Dementors. It's more... I was feeling, I'm going to let Harry down right now because his classmates are still terrible and he's going to know that they will do these terrible things to him. And that that's what sort of hit me was like, I now have to let you know the bad news that it wasn't these supernatural, awful creatures. It was, in fact, awful creatures who are human.
2: Yeah. You know, I did imagine myself into Harry and the just anger and betrayal and fear that I was just humiliated. As I've talked about on the podcast before, my biggest fear is feeling like everybody is laughing at me, right? That Mm -hmm. feeling of like, oh, I thought everybody was cheering for me. And the moment of panic of like, what did I not get? What happened that literally everybody saw, but I didn't see?
3: Yeah. Both of you actually picked up on that idea of, you know, Hank, you said the kind of jostling of bodies. Like this is a very physical encounter. Like the whole team is running at him and Vanessa, you're like, everyone's looking at him. So he's really at the center of things. And it's so ironic, like in this moment of what should be a shared connection with the Gryffindor team and right, they've done this great thing. Here's another moment where he's isolated, which is Harry's constant struggle in this whole story is this feeling of being separate from or different than like even in this moment of connection actually we're seeing him being disconnected again
4: yeah i mean that's that's true throughout the entire like harry's entire life i imagine it will be the case for his entire life that we can imagine but it's so much the case in azkaban where he is isolated and he's controlled and everyone no one can let him do anything because there's this murderer out to get him and also all supernatural demons out to get him. <laughs> uh, that, that they have let into this school, what the heck? <laughs>
3: and so, and this does not seem like a good plan. Hank, you you could be a co-author in our book of failed pedagogy at Hogwarts, a a (laughs) primer. (laughs) So we found these weird creatures that suck
4: happiness out of people and enjoy consuming souls. We're going to starve them and put them around a bunch of children.
2: What do you think? Let's have the school board vote on it. A hundred percent. Yes. Great. I also wondered for Lupin how much Harry reminded him of... James, Mm. um, watching Harry play Quidditch. And if he did, I think that this is very much to your point as well, Hank, of how much of a paternal role he felt of pride that he had taught Harry how to cast a Patronus and also like that James is never going to get to watch Harry follow in his footsteps in this way, but Lupin can. So I would imagine that this is like a very emotional moment for Lupin.
3: It makes me think, Hank, like as a dad, what has been the biggest surprise for you? What's different?
4: I mean, it's cliche probably, but it's just like the desire to just sensually experience this child. Like I wanna like I just wanna squeeze him and kiss him and bite his legs and and just look at him. And it it, I kind of thought because I'm a pretty analytical person, that it would be more of a like, I'm enjoying watching this being form in front of me. Yeah. But it's way down under those levels of just like, I just want to look at you because of how good you look to me.
3: Mm. Yeah.
4: And I like it I do really like watching him do new stuff and like, oh, he like he's grabbing stuff and putting it in his mouth. Oh, so he's rolling over and he's sitting up and all those things. But more than that, it's just like I understand them in a very different way now how even if this kid can't do it, like if, if this like if Orin had like severe physical problems and could never do all of the things like never walk or something, I'd still be like, I love looking at you. Everything about you is perfect and I love it.
3: <laughs> well, he's lucky to have you as a dad, that's for sure. <laughs> it, it also reminds me of how Harry Long's, I love the way you said it to like sensually experience Another person like, right? He he, he he actually stops himself from fully casting a Patronus so he can hear his father's voice, right? He lo- mm-hmm. he looks at those photographs endlessly. There's a longing for that physicality of being together. And,
2: and the Mirror of Era said too. He right. could like stare into it forever.
3: Mm-hmm. Right,
4: right. Oh God, that makes me think about, because you guys were mentioning in a recent episode when he would just stare at Ginny's name on the Marauder's map. Yeah.
1: Oh.
4: And like, that's like a different but similar habit of his, that he just wants to look at the people that he loves.
2: And when he's walking in the forest again, when he's walking to his death in book seven, there's a couple of lines about how he wishes that he could just see Ron or Hermione or Ginny one more time, that just to look at them. I mean, it's why we put photographs up, right? Mm -hmm. Ariana and I just had an interaction the other day. We work out of my apartment and I showed her i've said look at this cute picture of my dog and she was like vanessa your dog is right next to you (laughs) she's being cute right next to you and i was like right but she's like framed in this cute way here right like there is something when you love something even a dog there's something about a feast to just enjoying the fact that they exist
3: Oh, thank you again, Vanessa, for choosing that passage and thanks Hank for joining us. I didn't think we would end up talking about parenting, but I think there's something going on there with Lupin, like Lupin. and Harry which is which is really parental in a way. That's beautiful.
2: Which is so beautiful because then Harry gets asked <gasps> to be Lupin's <gasps> son's oh. godfather.
3: Oh, I hadn't thought about that. So
2: there's like a real uh-huh. beautiful circular Factual. thing there.
3: Yeah. Hey, so Hank, we know Podcon is coming up. Tell us more about that. What what is it? It is. It's uh, it's a, a convention for people who love podcasts in the
4: vein of the thing that I do for YouTubers. Uh, so an opportunity to, for the people who love the stuff and for people who make the stuff to get together in the same place and celebrate it and do silly fun things, but also talk about some of the issues that the medium faces and have serious conversations about the process and about where we are going and where we have been and how to get to the places where we want to be. So I really like to invite. People who make the things, people who are sort of like the blend between the fan and the creator, and also people who are just fans to actually participate in those broader discussions. Uh, so it's happening December 9th and 10th in Seattle, Washington. So if you're in Seattle, that'll be easier for you. But if you're not, just hop on the, the train and ride it. It's a choo-choo. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the midnight train to Seattle. <laughs> Thank you, Hank.
2: Thank you.
4: Thank you. I really, this is such a very interesting thing to do. the project that you are doing, and uh, and I think necessary in the world. Just giving us all time to be contemplative and think about the things that we love and, and about being human. All right. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Thank, Thank you. Very you. Much. Bye.
0: Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods
3: Today's voicemail is from Kathy Kavanagh, who's responding to the conversation we had about optimism in chapter 12 about the Patronus.
0: Hey, Vanessa and Casper. This is Kathy and I am a counseling psychology doctoral student at Oklahoma State University. So I wanted to comment on the chapter on optimism. I actually have a tattoo that says Expecto Patronum on my arm to remind myself of the power of optimism and inspiring change. As a therapist in training, optimism is incredibly important to have not just for yourself and for your own self-care, but it gives our clients permission to have optimism and therefore hope that whatever their situation is will get better. Therapy is sometimes the only place in someone's life that they have permission to be optimistic, and part of my job is to make therapy sessions a safe place in which to explore not only doubts and fears, but hope as well. For me, my Patronus charm is my optimism that things can get better. Anyway, I love the podcast and getting to meet y'all at NerdCon was pretty much the highlight of my trip. Thanks.
3: Thanks so much, Kathy. I, I really appreciate you giving us the opportunity to kind of figure out what the difference is between optimism and hope. And the thing that strikes me is that optimism kind of is always based on fact in some way, at least in my mind. Like, hope seems something that that you don't necessarily need any signals that things are going to work out, but you can still hope for it. And usually I'm optimistic when I have good reason to be. I don't know, Vanessa, what what do you think?
2: I feel like... I feel differently. I feel like people talk about optimism and pessimism as if it's a world outlook and that no matter what, you're an optimistic person or a pessimistic person. And hope seems more like something that you can choose to have. And by you, I mean me. Like, I think I might be a slightly pessimistic person who sometimes when like faced with certain situations will be like, but I'm going to be hopeful about this doesn't. Optimism and pessimism seem more like a mindset.
3: I mean, I think so much depends on what your experience of the world has been. And, you know, for me, I've been incredibly lucky and privileged in so many ways. So it's it's easier for me to be optimistic, I think. Because but I things... have,
2: too. I'm just a grouch. <laughs>
3: <laughs> there you have it, Kathy. That's the answer we've got, to. <laughs> And thank you so much for for the work that you're training to do and no doubt already doing. I I love that idea of therapy as a place where we can be optimistic, even in difficult times. Vanessa, it's time for us to bless someone from the pages of this chapter. Who are you blessing this week?
2: I am blessing Cho Chang. There are two reasons. One is because she's short and a badass. And that just speaks to me. But two, I know that I've mentioned it before, but just the moment in which she warns Harry that there are dementors, and dementors harm everybody. They make everybody feel ill, but she knows that they really impact Harry. And so rather than running for cover, rather than taking the advantage that she might get in catching the snitch, she goes out of her way to tell Harry to watch out. And I just think that's a really beautiful moment when you can be on an opposing team from someone and still really be taking care of them. And I think it shows great priorities and sportsmanship. And so I just wanna offer Cho Chang a blessing for that. What about you, Casper? Who would you like to bless this week?
3: My blessing is for Lee Jordan. He's one of the smaller characters that we come across. And what I love about him is that he's been asked to commentate. And he is so excited about the firebolt. Like, he's talking about it, talking about it, and he's, you know, telling everyone who else is riding firebolts these days and who else is flying firebolts these days. And McGonagall kind of keeps telling him to shut up. You know, she says, "'Jordan, are you being paid to advertise firebolts? Get on with the commentary.'" And commentary is actually a really hard thing. And so I just wanted to bless Lee Jordan for his, like, just defiant joy in sport, his just total skill at being able to describe a game. I'm sure there's some people who can't see, you know, who might be visually impaired in the audience. Like, he is offering a real service. And, you know, he's able to kind of extemporaneously talk at great speed for, like, many hours and for that i give him my blessing
2: can we talk about like the amazing comedy duo that is lee jordan and minerva (laughs) McGonagall?
3: it was designed in heaven (laughs)
2: they're hilarious together (laughs) jordan who's paying you i love it it's amazing
3: you've been listening to harry potter and the sacred text Thank you to everyone who came out to our live shows on the West Coast. We had an amazing time. And if you're on the East Coast, there are still tickets for our shows in D.C., New York City, and Philadelphia. Check out HarryPotterSacredText.com and click on the big orange button. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook, and leave us a review on iTunes. We'd also love to hear from you if you have a voicemail for us.
2: Next week, we'll be reading Chapter 14, Snape's Grudge, through the theme of imagination. This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text was produced by Ariana Nettleman, Casper Terkyle, and me, Vanessa Zoltan. Our music is by Ivan Paizau and Nick Boll, and we are part of the Panoply Network. You can find ours and other great shows at panoply.fm. This week, we'd like to thank Rebecca and Charlie Ledley, Stephanie Paulsell, and thanks again to Hank Green. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show.
3: We'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone
2: point thank you do you need me should I leave no I basically I think the kind of rivalry that we model on this show is the perfect amount of rivalry
3: you mean where we have snipers on both each other's like <laughs> buildings like looking at each other through a window yeah oh that's just me
2: <laughs> no no only
3: oh, just... snipers of love
2: oh. like, pew, pew, pew.
1: <laughs> no